The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. I'm Vinny Politan and welcome to the Court TV Podcast. This week is another audio edition of our original series, Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall, which delves into the Court TV archives to cover the tragic tales of crimes perpetrated on people, not by complete strangers, but instead by someone quite close to them. This week's episode is among the most tragic we've ever covered on Court TV. It's called Hometown Hero, a title that refers to beloved high school football coach Ed Thomas who was murdered while conducting a weight training session with his players. But this was not a random act of violence. His killer went to that gym specifically to kill Ed Thomas, but for reasons that only ramp up the tragic circumstances of a story that not only impacted the lives of two families, but the entire Iowa community where it happened. Here, featuring interviews with Chris Lurring, the local chief of police, prosecutor Scott Brown, Ed Thomas's widow and son Jan and Aaron Thomas and the mother of the killer, Joan Becker, is someone they knew, hometown hero. This is the Court TV Podcast. Ed Thomas was an iconic high school football coach in the state of Iowa. Never in a million years would I ever have expected Coach Thomas to be a victim of a homicide. Everybody was just shocked. When I told her that I knew who it was that had shot her husband, she said, that poor family. On the morning of June 24th, 2009, high school football coach Ed Thomas was gunned down in the weight room in front of 22 students. The murder of the beloved coach rocked the small community of Parkersburg, Iowa, as much or even more than the devastating and deadly tornado that destroyed half the town the year before. But just as shocking as the murder was who pulled the trigger. It was a nice morning. Started off like any other day. I was getting ready for work. Ed usually left for work before I was out the door by far because he was supervised the weight room in the morning. I was a volunteer on our ambulance service at the time. And shortly before eight o'clock, my pager went off. There was a shooting at the high school. Do you know uh, who it was? No, I don't. Uh, kids had come running out and said somebody shot Ed Thomas. It, okay. And they're still in the building. It was supposed to be a day off for me, and I was at home. So I got a page that there uh, was a shooting at the high school, and I didn't believe it. Nothing could prepare me to walk into a weight room and to find Coach Thomas lying on the floor shot. Despite his injuries, I, I thought he was going to live. Jan arriving to the scene was one of the most hard things. Um, I don't just know the Thomases, I love the Thomases. And I don't just know Jan, I love Jan. And so I just, in my mind, was praying over and over and over again, please don't let Jan be on this ambulance. Please don't let Jan be on this ambulance. 
And, and to this day, I, that was a prayer in my mind that should have been answered. We responded to the weight room and we're getting our gear to go in. And then Chris Luring stopped me and directed the other ones in and then told me that it was Ed and he'd been shot. And so I waited a few minutes while the other EMTs treated and got ready to transport. But then I said, okay, I gotta go in there and see what's really going on. And he was still alive, but he wasn't conscious. One of the things I'll never forget Jan saying when we left the high school parking lot was, you know, that, that she recognized Ed's wounds and his injuries as being not survivable. My mom called me and she just said, you know, Aaron, somebody came in the weight room, they shot your dad multiple times, it doesn't look very good. The nurse came and told me that he had coded in route and that they were still working on him, but um, it wasn't to be. Instantly you start all the things in your mind of, who, why, um, how could this have happened? Parkersburg's just a small town in northeastern to north central Iowa. It's about 2,000 people. Most people know each other there. Ed coached and taught at Parkersburg for a long time, and in his eyes, there was no better place on this planet. That's it, that's it. Come on, be leaders, be leaders. Ed. I think knew early on that he really wanted to coach, and I think a lot of that came from um, his high school coach when he was growing up. He grew up with an alcoholic father who wasn't often present, and so I think that coach that took special interest in Ed and encouraged him made him want to be that guy for someone. Come on, Robert, keep hanging in there, Robert. You're getting better. You're getting better. You're getting better. He was a great coach. He was demanding, but the, the thing he did better than anything else is he built relationships. And you can be hard on young people if you build a relationship, if they know you care about them. And he was the master of pushing us to be better than we ever thought we could be. A lot of pride in what you do and do what's right. Do what's right. Out on the streets, everything we do, we do what's right. Four uh, former players there had played in the NFL or were playing at the NFL at the same time. The, the coach, Ed Thomas, had won the NFL Coach of the Year. And, and this is a town that's, you know, a few thousand people at most. It's just very unusual, statistically improbable for that to happen. I didn't think he had a job. I, he just loved high school kids and was passionate about football. For me as a young kid to see my dad and his passion for what he did, uh, I felt like I was the luckiest kid there was. <laughs> So I just told her that I knew who it was that had shot her husband. She said, that poor family. When Chris told me that it was Mark Becker, I was shocked by that. The Beckers were cared for a lot around the county. Mark played football for Ed. I was just trying to wrap my head around the whole thing because I don't know why. Your mind's kind of going all over. I grew up on a farm in north central Iowa and junior in high school, I moved to Parkersburg. My husband, Dave, of 42 years, was a senior that year, and he was a football captain on the team. And one day, Coach Ed Thomas introduced me to Dave and thought it would be good for us to go out. <laughs> Dave and I got married a couple years after high school. We have three sons and moved out to the country as soon as we could get an acreage. In Parkersburg, football started at a young age. 
And Mark played right into it. He seemed to love it. It was sort of the thing you, you did. I've known Mark since he was a young child. I had him in Sunday school probably when he was little. So, you know, he came from a good family, just part of the community. When I started teaching and coaching, I'll never forget, the first thing my dad said is, Aaron, if you're going to do this, two things. Uh, if those young men aren't better people after being coached by you, then you failed them as a coach. And he also said some of these kids are going to need your team more than your team needs them. And I think Mark Becker was one of those kids. Mark turned 16 shortly before his sophomore year, and we started to see him withdrawing. He wasn't hanging out so much with his big bunch of friends. So all the signs of drug use, we never believed that. Mark would ever try any drugs. Well, we did find out that he was using marijuana and he got caught. My dad held him accountable. He had sit out some ball games for code of conduct violations, but uh, that was my dad. He didn't give up on kids and always wanted what was best for him and help him get going the right direction. Ned thought a lot of Mark. I think he did a lot to try to help Mark out. As a parent, what do you do? What is just acting out and trying to be along with the crowd? Or what's something you need to take more serious? We know now today, the signs of the schizophrenia were starting to take effect. Mark Becker's parents were unsure what was behind their son's sudden drug use. Clearly, he was struggling with some issues, but they thought maybe it was just a passing phase. While those close to Mark tried to make sense of his behavior, no one was aware of the demons inside him. When Mark graduated from high school, we were really excited because he went to a local college to play football. Started out great, but within the next two, two and a half years, Mark really took a downward spiral. He really started getting into heavy drug use. So marijuana and methamphetamine are, are both substances that are known to exacerbate, sometimes trigger uh, symptoms of psychosis, paranoia, delusional experiences, and so they can heighten those extrasensory perceptions that people are having. It was a roller coaster ride because he would do it, he'd come back home, I don't want to do this, I don't want to live this way. He'd go back and forth, and he finally had enough. And he came home and he actually detoxed in our home, and it's the most horrific thing you would ever go through. But he, he said that's it, and he moved a few hours away with his older brother and really started to turn things around in his life. Up here's Parkersburg, may take a direct text. Okay. Parkersburg. In 2008, an EF5 tornado, which is the highest magnitude of tornado that they rate, hit Parkersburg. We're talking massive disruption, large gas leaks, um, flattened houses. I'm very serious. They need to get here and shut down this area. It kind of took a swipe through almost the middle of town, so about half the town was destroyed. Yeah, but okay, we have possible lots of fatalities. We have cars flipped. I mean, this is this is not good, okay? We lost our home. We lost both of our workplaces, Ed's and mine. We lost our vehicles. We lost pretty much everything that day in just a matter of a few minutes. After the shock wore off, it didn't take long and people rolled up their sleeves and just got started. Neighbors started helping neighbors. And this is kind of Ed's quote, actually, dust ourselves off and build back better than we were before, because what else do you do? 
Coach Thomas was telling the press or telling the media that we were gonna play our first football game in 100 days on our home field. And at that point in time, I thought, this is crazy. There's just no way. But I also knew Ed well enough to know that if anybody could get it done, it was gonna be him and nothing was gonna stop him. You know, in this community is very resilient. Uh, I'll put the town back together. There's no question about that. And, and uh, I hope they put the school right back up here. Right after the tornado had hit in Parkersburg, Mark called me and he was talking very strangely. Mom, I know that you and dad are trying to get in my mind and control me. And I thought, oh my goodness, what is going on? We talked to our older son and he said, Mom, I don't know if I can handle Mark living here. So he moved home. One evening, Dave and I woke up to hear screaming and yelling downstairs where Mark slept. And Mark was crouched down with his hands over his head. They're hurting me, Dad. Help me, help me, they're hurting me. And Dave looked around. He actually thought somebody might be there. And he, when he tried to explain to Mark, there's nobody here, Mark. And so, and Mark just got angry. He's, no, Dad, they're, they're hurting me, help me. That was one of the only times we ever heard Mark say something about Coach Thomas. And we couldn't believe it because he was saying that he needed to have a talk with Coach and talk some sense into him. And that Coach had to quit bothering him and quit attacking him. And it just came out of nowhere. This episode that Mark had was unfortunately the first of many, many, many more to come. And they, they increased in intensity, in frequency, in danger. Schizophrenia for, for men usually has a, a window of the first episode of onset, usually between 18 to 25, sometimes 18 to, to 30, but really kind of in that young adulthood. Mark dealt with demons. He felt like when he looked outside, he said, there's faces in all the trees. The demons are out there looking at me. They're trying to get me. Our whole basement, Mark couldn't sleep down there anymore because he was so terrified because he said it was full of demons. Four days prior to Ed being murdered, Mark had been arrested for an incident. It was involved in a high-speed chase in which I was uh, one of the arresting officers. Mark had a baseball bat and he was yelling at this gentleman, pounding his windows. He, he drove his car into the guy's garage door. He heard the sirens, he took off, high speed chase and hit a deer and was forced off the road. So there's a lot of history with Mark. We, you know, we knew his history, we knew that he struggled with, with uh, mental illness. When Sheriff Johnson got on the scene, Mark was face down and there were officers there, guns drawn. And Sheriff said, stand down, this man has mental illness. We need to get him help. They did get Mark into a mental health unit. We were reassured by the Sheriff and by Mark's counselor that he would be there until Friday. This all happened on a Saturday night. So it's pretty sad, but we were relieved. Nobody was notified when Mark was let out of the hospital. The hospital did not notify law enforcement. I don't believe the hospital even notified Joan and Dave, Mark's parents. When we get a phone call on Tuesday night from Mark saying he's on the street in Waterloo, 
locked out of his apartment. Mom's not gonna get, leave him on the street. We tried to call the agency that was working with Mark, and we were told that uh, you'll have to call back at 8.15 tomorrow morning. When we look back now, why couldn't we get the help? The next morning, Dave and I had been up all night long, and we knew it wasn't safe for me to be home with Mark by myself. So I said, I'll go to the office to work. I'm on the phone and my, with a client, my cell phone started going crazy. I get off the phone and a coworker comes running up, says Coach Thomas has been shot at the weight room. I said, shot? Not in Parkersburg. I called Dave and I said, did you hear about Coach Thomas? And he was real quiet. And he said, Joan, yeah, he has been shot. And they think Mark is involved. Back up. Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. On the morning of June 24, 2009, after his parents left for work, Mark Becker stole a gun from his father's gun locker, put on a pair of gray coveralls, took his father's car, and headed for Parkersburg High. When he arrived, he entered the weight room and shot Coach Thomas five times, point blank. And Thomas had been shot numerous times and was laying in the weight room. All of my years of training and experience on the ambulance crew and, the, and as a police officer never could have prepared me for the looks that were on their face. They explained the different places my dad had been shot, how close that he shot in the knee, shot in the hand, shot multiple times in the head. And the part that got me the most is when they explained that after being shot, that Mark stomped on him multiple times. Something that still, if I think about it often, it, it can still get the blood pressure. So Mark Becker was arrested by the sheriff. He drove back to his parents' home after he shot Coach Thomas. The sheriff actually beat him home. So the sheriff was actually in his driveway when Mark turned to drive down his own driveway. At a certain point in time, Mark rolled down his window and held the gun out the window while he was driving down the driveway where Sheriff Johnson was. I feel like I stabbed me right now. So much I can taste it in my nostrils, in my face, in my lungs. And it's looking from on the left side, right? Can you see it in me? Okay. Okay. One of the things he, he told the DCI agent was that he had a deep-seated animosity. Mark made a comment about Ed didn't treat him like he treated everybody else, as if Ed treated him worse than everybody else. And I remember getting very angry when he made that statement because Ed treated Mark Becker in a lot of ways better than he had anybody else and, and gave Mark more time than he had anybody else. Devil, devil's tired. He's pressing children around here, and my family's about a little kid. Can't, couldn't put up with it another second. We can hardly breathe at night. 
said to that man, what do you do? Because the he makes the turns into fish, he turns us into animals, and turns us into dead people. And he won't let us be our true heavenly selves. He was holy. Take him out because he's feeling the devil. He's being rich for him. I'm not to show him to be free. He was gone. I could see that. One of the things that stood out to me in the interview was he would open and close his fist and Agent Calloway asked him, what are you doing? And he said, well, that's how I control the devil. The thing about his interview that was key though is even though his mental health is wrapped up obviously a bit in the interview, he was able to articulate what happened. He was able to tell us where he got the gun, how he got the gun, that he practiced with the gun. He'd grown up around guns, so he knew that guns could be used to kill another person. He knew what he had done, knew that he'd shot a human being, knew that it was wrong. So I saw my parents off, and then once they left, I took a shower. I took an antler and broke the handle off the gun case. Okay. It was handy. And I pulled the gun out, it was on the top. First one I picked up, there was bullets behind me. I loaded it. He had it locked up. Probably just a little more serious plan. Sure. So I loaded it, went on his back and shot it, wants to make sure it worked for him. Then I got in my car. So I was in the Parkersburg, and I went and checked if he was in the weight room. He was in the weight room, with back up. With peace, yard, with tools, and now I'm Grace. On the competency end of things, we dealt with it at the beginning with Mark Becker to determine whether or not he's mentally competent to stand trial. So the, the level of planning that went into it, it, it certainly speaks to uh, having some level of awareness about the decision-making, the choices, the consequences. But I think something that makes it a little bit complicated is the nature of somebody's delusions could cloud their judgment on making this decision. So if he was thinking, you know, that this person was evil for this reason or not. You know, he might know that legally it's still a poor choice, but morally he might be deluded to the point where he's thinking this is going to save lives and I'm kind of a, a savior even though I'm going against the law. I think he was pretty deliberate. He had a pretty good plan in place. He had taken precautions. The fact that he took target practice that morning to see how close he would need to get to, to make sure he, you know, shoot and hit his target made it feel very deliberate and planned. There was no dispute that Mark Becker shot and killed Coach Thomas. The question was his state of mind at the time he committed the murder. And when the defense entered a not guilty by reason of insanity plea, it made this trial anything but simple and predictable. Are you ready uh, with the opening statement, Mr. State's Brown? ready, Your Honor. You may proceed, sir. Thank you. The trial was obviously going to be difficult, but it's also something I couldn't stay away from. Ed Thomas, on June 24th of 2009, was gunned down by Mark Becker. He was gunned down in front of over 20 Applington Parkersburg High School students in the weight room that morning. Mark Becker, on June 24th of 2009, made a choice. 
He made this choice consciously and with full understanding and appreciation of the consequences of his acts. He shot him, he emptied the gun, five bullets, five times. And then as he's down, he kicks him, kicks him in the head, kicks him in the chest. And he says, you old man. No one in this case will dispute the fact that Mark Becker had a mental illness. But the evidence will be in this case, and if I say it once, I'll say it a thousand times. Mental illness does not equal insanity. Mental illness does not equal insanity. I do think that he knew what he was doing that day. I'm not saying he wasn't sick, he was, but that doesn't mean you can't make decisions. We're here today to answer the question, why? Why did Ed Thomas die? The evidence in this case is going to show that Ed Thomas died because on the morning of June 24, 2009, Mark Becker was insane. The evidence will show that Mark suffered from, and still suffers, from a mental illness called schizophrenia, paranoid type. And beyond simply having a mental illness, that mental illness prevented him on the morning of June 24th from knowing the nature and quality of his actions and also prevented him from being able to distinguish between right and wrong in relation to that act. Mark believed that Coach Thomas was literally Satan. Coach Thomas was what Mark called a devil tyrant. You're gonna hear evidence that'll show that Mark on that morning believed that Coach Thomas turned people, including Mark, into fish, into animals, and into dead people. Mark was interviewed by a number of doctors. These doctors will testify that on the morning of December 24th, Mark Becker was insane. We will ask that you return a verdict of not guilty by reason of insanity. Thank you. At the trial, it was hard to hear the defense trying to justify, um, try to make excuses. You didn't know what testimony the jury were gonna buy or what doubt might've got planted. And that all of a sudden, could Mark Becker be back on the streets? It was a stressful time, probably worse than honestly going through the murder. What did Mark Becker do whenever he approached you and your football coach? He pulled a gun out. Who did he point it at first? Me. Where did he point it at on your person, Brandon? I have my head. It's okay. Whenever he pointed it at your head, what did you do? What was your reaction? I thought I was dead. What did you hear or see next? I heard a gunshot. What did you do then, Brandon? I opened my eyes and saw Coach Paul. Uh, to see those kids get up there on stand, get questioned, you hurt for the kids seeing that, but then to have to try to relive it, tell their story of it, something that I won't forget. Um, the hurt that we all felt for them. Uh, did you see when you entered the movement? I saw Coach Thomas laying on the floor. I saw two men attending to his injuries uh, and trying to care for him. All right. Um, was he able to communicate with you at all? No, he was not. From your uh, experience as a police officer, were you generally aware of the seriousness of uh, Mr. Thomas's injuries? Yes, my experience as a police officer, as well as being an EMT on the Parks for Ambulance Service. And what was your general assessment of the seriousness of his injuries? I would say that on a scale of one to 10, that his injuries were out of 10, that he needed immediate care.
as the initial first responder to the scene, as the first EMT, as the first police officer, is very traumatic. And I think it was important that the jury heard just how truly chaotic that was and the impact on those young people that witnessed that, that murder. The physical description that you received was generally fitting that of Mark Becker? Yes. All right, and the car was registered to Dave Becker? Yes. Did you kind of put two and two together? Yes, sir. What are we looking at in State's Exhibit 24? You're looking at the suspect vehicle, my vehicle, me, and Mark Becker. We're looking at the actual arrest of Mark Becker, is that right? Yes, sir. Did he make any statement to you about Ed Thomas? Yes. What did he say? He said, Ed is done, and I'm done with Ed. He said, I stopped him for you cops. I got him. I got him. I got him. Get over with it. You're done. You're history. You are done, Ed. Ed Thomas, you are done. You are never coming back. You are done. You're done. You're done. You're done, Ed. You're gone. You're gone forever. I don't blame him. I blame our lack of understanding of this illness and the availability of treatment for it. That's what I blame. But as parents, you never get over it. From September till November, it just kept getting more and more often and escalating. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel -gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. Proving insanity is not easy. The bar is high. And while the defense had doctors who would later testify on the subject, they wanted their first witness to be someone who knew Mark well and had seen his psychotic episodes firsthand. His mother, Joan Becker. The state having rested, uh, is Mr. Becker ready to proceed? We are, Your Honor. The defense would call Joan Becker. The defense's strategy was really kind of to put all of their eggs into the mental health basket with, with regard to es establishing insanity. Did you begin to see changes? Yes. When was that? September of 2008. And can you describe what those changes were? One night we were woken up during the middle of the night and we heard Mark yelling, get off me, get off me. Get these feathers off me, get them off me. Or, and then he would going on and saying, um, can't you see, can't you see? You know, I, I'm, he thought he was being turned into our, our coon dog chief. Just extremely bizarre, bizarre behavior. And it just went on and on. And we couldn't, and he didn't know it was us. And we tried to talk to him. And there's no talking to someone in, a, in an episode like that. It was really hard to testify, uh, to see Mark sitting there. And he was so met heavily medicated. 
He just was like in his own. I don't think he can remember much about the trial at all. Was he committed to a hospital? Yes, he was. Do you know how long Mark was in the hospital? A week. We were trying to get him assistance and trying to get to the bottom of these behavioral issues and trying to find out what exactly is going on, you know, what's causing these personality changes. And did you see continued changes in his personality after September 2008? Yes. How often would these, occur, these episodes occur? We could go a week, maybe even two weeks, and then we could have several days in a row that he would have them. He could go several weeks without them. But it, from September till November, it just kept getting more and more often and escalating. You know, as parents, when your son commits an act like this, you know this his state of mind. You know deep down. You know he wouldn't have done it in a sane mind. But how are other people supposed to see that and know that? They don't know Mark. They don't know his history. And it's, it's a very difficult thing because we wanted justice for the Thomas family. Absolutely, we did. Doctor, do you have an opinion to a reasonable degree of medical certainty as to whether Mark Becker suffered from a diseased or deranged condition of the mind on June 24, 2009? Yes, I do. What is that opinion? Uh, it's my opinion with reasonable medical certainty that Mark Becker suffered from paranoid schizophrenia on uh, June 24, 2009. It's my opinion with reasonable medical certainty that Mark Becker was not capable of distinguishing between right and wrong with respect to shooting Coach Thomas. And that would qualify for a valid insanity defense, in my opinion. A person that's mentally ill isn't stupid. A person that's mentally ill may have skewed judgment sometimes, but they're not beyond reason. They're not always beyond understanding the difference between right and wrong. My opinion is that he was capable of knowing and understanding the nature and quality of the acts on that day. He does a number of things that suggested to me that he certainly possessed a fairly reasonable level of rationality and reasoning. He opens a gun cabinet, he takes out a handgun. He shoots it to make sure it works. He realizes that he misses a target and thinks, geez, I'm gonna have to get up close and shoot this gun again. He, he reloads it and he puts a bullet in every chamber. He then goes to the um, weight room and he looks inside first to make sure Coach Thomas is there. He leaves the gun in the car, not wanting anyone to see it at that point. And then he goes in in a very methodical, careful way, shoots him. He says he shoots him in the knee because he doesn't want him to get up and run away. He shoots him at close range because he's concerned about the fact that he missed the target earlier and also because he doesn't want the stray bullets to, to ricochet and injure anyone else. Each of these things, in my assessment of his mental state and his fundamental capacity on that day, represented someone who could make choices, who could rational, be rational and reason things out. Perhaps he, he felt a morally justified reason, but again, in my, it's my understanding that's not the test for insanity, whether you felt morally justified. It was whether you're capable or not of understanding the nature and quality of what you're doing. And the nature and quality is that you're taking a gun and you're discharging it and you're shooting someone and they're gonna be dead. Ultimately, what, what an expert can do 
based upon their examination, is he capable of forming these, the intent? Is he capable of uh, knowing the difference between right and wrong? Is he capable of understanding the nature and quality of his acts? The reason why they can't say he actually is is because that's ultimately for the jury to determine. While both sides agreed Mark Becker was not well, the prosecution continued their refrain, mental illness does not equal insanity. If found guilty, Mark would most likely be put away for life. But if found not guilty by reason of insanity, there was a chance he could be out in just a few years. What mattered was Mark Becker's state of mind at the time of the murder. We'll start with the state's closing. Mr. Brown, sir. Thank you, Judge. The facts in this case can only be characterized as brutal. Mark Becker is the one who committed this brutal act. Mark Becker made his choice. It is his responsibility and no one else's. Mark Becker made his choices on June 24th of 2009. And Mark Becker is guilty of murder in the first degree. It is without dispute that Ed Becker was a very well-respected person. That is not the issue in this case. The issue is that Mark Becker was insane on June 24th, 2009, when Coach Thomas was shot. You have the videotape of Mark in the booking room. To look at the video shows Mark while he says it, shows how he reacts to what he's saying. Clearly demonstrates that he is seeing something that nobody else sees. Let there be no more Satan brainwashing. Just stop and watch. Let there be freedom. Don't be afraid to be happy. Get this monster away from me. That's what he says. He's in the booking room alone, but he needs the monster to get away from him because his insanity has continued from the weight room to when he's in the booking room. You can see during the actual interview that he is up and he is down. And he is talking in very weird sentences. Mark's statements, like I said, I'll work for anyone but the devil. I'll work for the feds, the sheriff, the police, anybody but the devil. It hurts me to see all these children suppressed by somebody so long. My mom and dad too, and me. My brothers were all suppressed by this devil tyrant for so long. They were suppressed by the devil. And Mark has taken care of the devil, apparently, and freed people. He thinks he's doing right because in his insane state of mind, he doesn't understand and cannot distinguish between right and wrong. Well, the, the deliberation for Becker actually was the longest deliberation I've ever had in any case uh, that I've ever prosecuted in the state of Iowa. So the jury went out on a Wednesday afternoon after we did closings. Uh, so they had it for part of Wednesday. They were out all day Thursday, all day Friday. Ladies and, and gentlemen of the jury, we're going to adjourn your deliberations for this afternoon. 
As I previously directed you, go ahead and separate now, return to your homes, and reconvene Monday morning at 10 o'clock a.m. in the jury room. The trial was pretty grueling, but um, I think the worst was waiting for the verdict to come in. You, you are sitting on pins and needles. The judge sent them home on Friday. I fully expected that on Monday we we're going to come back and we were going to have a mistrial and that we were going to try this case over. When the jury are, came to a verdict, I was actually at the state capitol lobbying for a bill, the Ed Thomas Law, which was passed, that where now if a person is released from the hospital, law enforcement has to be notified. You got to call the hustle back to Allison to the courthouse as the um, jury had reached a verdict. Has the jury reached a verdict? Yes, we have, Your Honor. Could you give the verdict to Ms. Myrie, please? Yes. Mr. Becker, could you please stand and face the jury? Mr. Schuler, the jury has returned a form of verdict number one. We find the defendant guilty of murder in the first degree. If you're not feeling happy, it's not a celebration by any stretch. There's no victory in the victory. It's, you don't feel this, you just feel relief, I guess. And you feel like maybe we can finally move on. Mr. Becker, given your brutal murder of Ed Thomas, I do not have any difficulty imposing the mandatory life sentence upon you. Could you stand, please? Mr. Becker, on the jury is finding you guilty of murder in the first degree. I, at this time, will judge you guilty of murder in the first degree. On this judgment, I commit you into the custody of the director of the Division of Adult Corrections for the rest of your life without parole. May the judge show mercy upon you. I absolutely think justice was served in this case. Mark Becker knew what he was doing, took a gun, thought about it, drove to his victim, shot him six to seven times, and then left. We do not have the death penalty in the state of Iowa, uh, so he got the maximum sentence that was allowed by law. And um, even though there's some mental health issues here, it's a very good example of a person being legally responsible even though they may suffer from a debilitating mental illness. You know, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think am. That pain will never go away. That trauma will never go away. That tragedy will never go away. But I really looked up to Ed as a mentor of mine, and by far, he's, he's probably one of the top two or three greatest people I've ever had the opportunity to meet in my entire life, and I'm grateful for that. You know, a big question a lot of people have had about this case and about Mark's mental illness and was he insane or not insane. You know, people can talk round and round and round about it. Here's what I know. Our son, Mark Becker, never would have taken the life of anyone if he was of sane mind. There is no doubt in my mind. Does Mark need to be institutionalized? Absolutely he does. Why did it take him killing someone to get the professional help and medications he needed? I have to forgive Mark in order to move on. 
And what you find in forgiveness, as hard as some people think that that might be, it's freeing because it allows you to become the person that you need to be. If if you keep harboring bitterness and anger, it's going to eat your life away. I'll never quit missing Ed, um, but life goes on. I have a great family, and I'm grateful. After my dad was killed, I went back to Applington Parkersburg, took my dad's job as athletic director, assistant principal. But I'll tell you, I don't cry publicly, but at that first football game when the team came out and he wasn't leading them on the field and I broke down. When I walk out on the field today or to watch the games and to set up the field, see it all painted and the lights and the community all there, I think of my dad watching his grandkids. Having my oldest graduate last year and be our starting quarterback. And now my middle son's our starting quarterback as a sophomore. And to see his grandkids a part of that, I know would have been something he would have been unbelievably proud of. Today, Mark Becker is housed at the Iowa Medical and Classification Center, a medium security correctional facility. According to Mark's family, he is remorseful and finally getting the treatment he needs. I'm Tamron Hall. Thank you for watching Someone They Knew. There you have it, the tragic tale of Coach Ed Thomas and his death at the hands of Mark Becker. You can see Court TV's gavel-to-gavel -gavel coverage of the Mark Becker trial in the Trials on Demand section of our website or by clicking the link provided in the show notes. And be sure to tune in for new episodes of Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall on Court TV every Sunday night at 9 p.m., all part of the best legal coverage on television right now. If you have a digital antenna and you're not sure if you can get Core TV, rescan the antenna to find out if it's available in your area. I'm Vinnie Politan, and thanks again for downloading the podcast. And as always, don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Core TV. Go to CoreTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Core TV in your area.